Let's open our Bible to the book of Acts, chapter 2. As you know, if you noticed, I've kind of camped here um, on Acts, chapter 2. And I want to read these verses again. Then I want to read... I want to read another section to you um, that's similar, that gives us further insight into the early church. You might say, why are we looking at this uh, picture of the early church? And sometimes, you know, we, as a pastor and, and as I read and study and, you know, as you read articles or you hear what other people have to say, you, oftentimes you hear this, we need to... We need to go back to the first church. We need to return to the ways of the early church. And, you know, I understand that's true in a sense, and I understand what people are saying, but, you know, the church isn't really about early or late or then and now. The church is. It is the body of Christ. We are the people of God right now, today, in our day. And, the point is not to try to go back to be something that it used to be. The point is that we are called to be who Christ has called us to be. We are called to be what Christ has called us to be. And part of, of that reality, part of doing that, part of being that is understanding who Christ is. This is one of the reasons that we've done this very simple little exercise of each week taking about a minute and reciting a catechism question. What you do with that, whether you memorize that or not, is really up to you. But it's a tool that gives you uh, a real basic way, a real foundational way to, to really begin to learn who God is. Who is Jesus? Who is God? Um, what is my only hope in life and death? That I that I belong not to myself, but that I belong body and soul, both in life and in death, to God and to the Savior, Jesus Christ. That you belong to Jesus. That's, that's our hope. And if we belong to Jesus, if we belong to God, and so last week the question was, who is God? What is God? He's the creator and the sustainer of everyone and everything. Nothing happens except through him and by his will. Who is this God? He is eternal. He's infinite. He's unchangeable. We begin to understand who God is. And when we begin to understand who God is, we begin to understand who we are in him. We begin to understand who we are apart from him. That's not a pretty picture. And so one of the reasons that uh, as I read these scriptures, as I read Acts chapter 2, and let's just do this now. Let's let's follow along as I read these verses from Acts chapter 2, verse 41 through 47. It says, "Then Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as any had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple... And breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So I want you to think about the picture that that presents to us. What is the picture that you see the scripture painting here in these Last verses of Acts chapter 2. What is, what is your mental picture of the church? When you, when you see this description where it says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers, 
Even in verse 45, when it says, Fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor. I mean, there's one way we can read that and you say, well, man, uh, that would never and it could never happen today. And in one sense, you might be right about that. But it's not just trying to figure out how we could physically carry out all of these things just the way it's described here. I mean, breaking bread daily from house to house. Say, you know, that's, that's impossible. But that's not the point. The point is not for us to figure out how to make sure that we're doing something together every day of the week. That's not the point. The point is to look at this body of people. Look at these people. First of all, we need to understand these are people. This is a body, a group of people. I say a body because that's what the Bible calls them. Now think about your body. Your body is a group of members that have been assembled together, joined together, and they have life because they're all joined in one place in the one life that that is your body, right? All your fingers and your toes, wiggle them. Go ahead, you can wiggle your fingers, wiggle your toes, clap your hands, all you people. You You know, we're a body. And all these members are assembled and they're made one and they have life in this one body. Well, that's what the church is. And so when we read these scriptures, what are we seeing here? Think about, think about their attitude. What is their heart attitude? What would possibly cause people to do the things and to live the way we see these people living? It's not can we duplicate that exactly in our daily schedules, but it is this question that we should be asking. Can that be the attitude of my heart? Because what is motivating these people? It's something that they have found. It's something that they have discovered. It's something that's happened to their hearts. A change has taken place. I mean, it's interesting. We said this, uh, the context, remember, is this feast. And you have these Jewish men from all over the world have come together. I mean, Jerusalem has swelled. There's literally hundreds of thousands of people that have come to Jerusalem. This is the feast of Pentecost. This is the day of the feast. And the Spirit of God was poured out. Peter preaches this sermon to thousands of people. And in part of his message, we see here in verse 36, he says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and God. Now, what's interesting is, Pentecost comes 50 days after the Feast of First Fruits. Jesus was resurrected on the Feast of First Fruits. So we know this is literally 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus. We know exactly when this takes place. So 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus, Peter is preaching because when Jesus was crucified, on that feast of Passover, and then the next day was unleavened bread, and then the next Sunday after unleavened bread was first fruit. So we know exactly when that happened too. We know that the feast of unleavened bread was one of those three feasts where all men were commanded to appear before the Lord. So here's what I want you to understand. The same group of people that were in Jerusalem when Jesus was crucified. And we don't know, but there's a very good chance that many of them. Who perhaps got caught up in the crowd 
crying, crucify him, many of those same people were listening to Peter's sermon here. Peter doesn't pull any punch. He said, this Jesus whom you crucified, God has made Lord. He is Lord. What shall we do? Peter says, be baptized. Repent of your sins. Trust in Jesus and you'll be saved. This And then it says that day, 3,000 souls were added to them in one day. This was the beginning of the New Testament church. This is the group of people now who after the feast and those that remained, they continued They continued in the apostles' doctrine. You know, doctrine gets a bad rap today. Lots of churches like to advertise that they're not into doctrine. It's because we fundamentally misunderstand what doctrine is. Doctrine, remember, is a word that means instruction and teaching. To say that we're not into doctrines is like saying we're not into instruction and teaching. One of the purposes that God sent the Holy Spirit was that the Holy Spirit would inform our doctrine. He would instruct us and teach us. He is our teacher. So they continued steadfastly in the doctrine of the apostles, in the fellowship of the apostles. That means they continued in the instruction and the teaching of the apostles. And very simply, the apostles' doctrine is the doctrine of Christ. What did the apostles teach? They taught Christ. When did the doctrine of Christ come about? Start, does it start in Matthew 1.1? 1, 1? No, remember? We're taking a break, but we're going to get back to our study in Genesis. No, the, the doctrine of Christ began with Genesis 1.1. 1, 1. The doctrine of Christ is the eternal doctrine of God. It fills all the scripture from beginning to end. The entire Bible is about Jesus. To make it very simplistic. The reason the Holy Spirit was given to you was so that you would come to know Jesus. So that you would come to see Jesus. Not just described with words on a page, but that you would, by faith, have the eyes of your heart and the eyes of your understanding opened and enlightened. This is exactly what Paul prays. Turn, I'm sorry, um, video person back there, I didn't give you this scripture, um, but I want to read it to you. It's Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. This is a prayer of the Apostle Paul. Ephesians 1, 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know. God wants you to know something, that you may know what is the hope of his calling What are the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints? God wants you to know that. This is a prayer. Paul prayed this prayer. He said, I want the eyes of your understanding to be open, to be enlightened. I don't want you to be in darkness. I want light to come into your heart and into your mind. And I want that light to reveal something When we read these scriptures and we read these descriptions of the early church, this group of people who who not too long before were yelling for the crucifixion of Jesus and now they are crying out in repentance. Now they are continuing daily to come together and to break bread together and to learn together and to pray together. And they are going to the temple together and they are meeting in houses together. 
And they are continuing this, the Bible says, daily something has happened. There has been a change take place. There's been a change of heart because something has happened to them. They have discovered something. What would cause them to sell their possessions and their goods and divide them among all as anyone had need. By the way, this is not, uh, this is not the first example of communism. This is not, this is not about a political system. This is not uh, about some type of economic system. This was just free will giving. This was the people of God recognizing who God is. These, it's not that these people weren't used to giving. They were used to giving. The, these are Jews. And these Jews were used to coming to the temple and offering their sacrifices and giving the tithe back to God. See, the tithe is not yours to give. The tithe, the Bible says, belongs to God. The tithe is the Lord's. So you technically, you don't give your tithe. You give the tithe because the tithe is not yours. It's God's. You give the tithe and you give your offerings. But the tithe is not ours. It's the Lord's. <clears throat> they were used to giving. It's not that. And they would come and they would give their sacrifices. They would give the tithe back to God. They would give their offerings. They would give alms to the poor. So it's, it's not like giving was something new to them. But I want you to think about this. These Jews, how did they give? Well, they give... They, they gave in the manner prescribed by the law of Moses. So you had the law of Moses. Now the tithe predated the law. We, we saw this in Genesis. When we went through our study and we got to Abraham, we say Abraham, when he goes to, to rescue Lot and, and Lot's people and his family and all, all that he had, when he comes back from defeating those kings who had stolen away Lot, he meets Melchizedek, the king of Salem, and he gives to Melchizedek, who is called the priest of God, he gives to him the tithe. He gave him a tithe of all. And Abraham says, this is my worship to God. So the tithe predates the law. But in the law, the tithe was there. And the law prescribed how Israel was to tithe and how Israel was to bring their offerings and why they were to bring, and what they were to bring, and when they were to bring it. And if you did this, then you brought this. And if you did that, then you brought that. I mean, it was, it would just drive you crazy. It would drive me crazy. I'm going to say that. It might not drive you crazy, it would drive me crazy. You come now to the book of Acts, and you... And this is why a lot of people today say that this doesn't apply anymore. The tithe doesn't apply. That's Old Testament. Now we're in the New Testament and, and we don't tithe. That's actually not correct. So what you had was in the, in the Old Testament, you had this prescription for giving under the law of Moses. But remember, everything in the law, what is the Bible teaching us? Christ. So when God says in the beginning, let there be light and there was light, in the natural creation, Paul gives us the commentary for that in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. The same God who shone light out of darkness in the beginning has shown light into your heart. For what purpose? That you might see the glory of God in the face of Jesus. That you might see and know the glory of God in the face of Jesus. So even the natural creation, in a sense, was a shadow speaking of something that was coming. I mean, who cares if we have a sun shining on us if we spend eternity separated from God, right? Even if you live to be as old as Methuselah, even if you lived 969 years on a, on a beautiful planet Earth, pre-flood, no global warming, no pollution, no GMOs, just, just a beautiful Earth, Yes, it's cursed, but it's a beautiful earth. And at the end of your 969 years of enjoying life every day on earth, you die and you spend eternity separated from God. What have you gained? Nothing. 
you gain the whole world? What does it profit you if you have lost your soul? So we can go back to the beginning when God said, let there be light. And that declaration of light was a shadow. It was a declaration of the true light that was to come, who is Jesus Christ. And the good news is, God didn't just shine light out of the darkness in the natural creation. God, that same God, has shown light in your heart that you would no longer be in darkness, that you would no longer be blind, but you would be able to see and know his glory in the face of Jesus Christ. This was Paul's prayer in Ephesians 1 when he says, I pray that the the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened. What's he saying? I pray that God would shine light in your heart and open your eyes and that you would see the glory of God in Jesus Christ. Do you know what happened to these people that we're reading about in Acts chapter 2? Their eyes were open and they saw the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. They were not giving because Moses said to give. They weren't giving because they were afraid now that if they didn't bring their sacrifice to the temple, God would curse them. No, they were giving for a much greater reason. They were giving from a heart that had been born again. They were giving from a heart and a mind that had been enlightened. They had seen the glory of God. They saw Jesus. I'm not talking about they saw a physical Jesus. I'm saying they saw a glorified Jesus. They saw Jesus by faith. They saw Jesus the very same way you and I must come to see Jesus. The eyes of their understanding were open and they saw Jesus in his glory. And the glory of Jesus changed them. It changed them so much that it changed their life and their lifestyle. And it changed everything they were about. And they came to understand and they came to realize that they were all about Jesus. They existed for Jesus. Do you know that you exist for Jesus? Do you know that? See, we've preached a gospel in the church now for too long that basically has conditioned us to believe that Jesus exists for us and that we have the right to demand of Jesus certain things. That is so backwards, I can't even begin to to tell you how backwards that is. That is so wrong, I can't even begin to tell you how wrong that is. That is so heretical. The word heretical doesn't even do it justice. No, you and I do not uh, have Jesus existing for us. We were created for him. We exist for him. We live for him. We move for him. We have our being in him for him. These people weren't compelled by a law to share and to have all things in common. And that's not even here today is a formula. We want to turn everything into a formula. This isn't about a formula. These aren't formulas by which we live. Well, are you saying, Pastor, we need to sell our possessions and just all share? And No, that's not what I'm saying. That's not what the Bible is saying. The Bible is presenting a picture here of what happened to these people's hearts. Most of us wouldn't have to do this today. But when you see your brother in need, are you moved with compassion to, to do something to help? When you come to realize that the tithe is not yours, but it belongs to God, and God says, bring the tithe to the storehouse, bring your offerings to the storehouse, that there might be meat in my house, and that you don't do that because you feel compelled to do that or because you're afraid to not do that, but you do that because you understand this is not about me, this is about Jesus. This is about the gospel. 
This is the doctrine of the apostles. This is the doctrine of Christ. This is what they were instructed in. And it didn't just become a teaching. They had their eyes open, their hearts open, their minds open, and they came to know Jesus in a way that revolutionized their lives and who they were. To the point that you could describe them as new creations, because that's how the Bible describes them. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Have you become a new creation? I'm going to ask that again. Have you become a new creation? We need to know that we have become a new creation. Does that mean you never make mistakes? Absolutely not. Becoming a new creation in Christ is not about you never making mistakes. It's not about you living a perfect life. It's not about you always getting it right. It's not about you never having a bad day. Being a new creation in Christ is the reality that God has done something in you miraculous in spite of all of those truths. In spite of the fact that we will continue to fail. That we will continue to make mistakes. That we will continue to get things wrong. The difference now is though this... I now have come to understand that it's not based on my ability to get it all right. It's based on what Christ has already done in the cross. I'm not saved by my good works because the Bible is very clear that in and of myself, I don't have any good works. I am saved by the only good work That really counts, and that is the good work of Christ. And now, here's another scripture that's not on that computer back there, but let me read this one to you also. You'll notice maybe that I've kind of gone off the page here, which is okay. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. Let's go back to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. Here's, here's a scripture that we're all familiar with. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. You don't work for a gift, okay? If you work for it and earned it, it's not a gift. That's called wages. Your salvation is not worked for and not earned. It's a gift from God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Then what is it by? It's by grace. It's by grace through faith. Look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There are good works, but guess who prepared them? God. There are good works, but guess where we begin to walk out those good works? In Christ. And and when did you come to be in Christ? When God created you in Christ. We are his workmanship created in Christ. Christ, where are you a new creation? You are a new creation in Christ. Who is the creator that made you a new creation? Not you. God is the creator who made you a new creation in Christ. And he didn't just make you a new creation in Christ. The Bible says he prepared good works beforehand. Before what? Before the sun, the moon, the stars, before he said, let there be light in a natural earth, he prepared good works for you to walk in. And how are you going to walk those out now? You're going to walk those out by the grace of God. 
How did, let's go back to our Acts chapter 2 scripture. How did these guys do what they did? How did they continue daily? How did they do this? How did they share their possessions? How did they have all things in common? How did they live in one accord? They did it by the grace of God. They did it because their eyes were open and they realized that they were created for Jesus. They existed for Jesus. Jesus didn't exist for them. They existed for Jesus. They had been made a part of a body and everyone around them who also trusted in Jesus, who had their eyes open, they were part of that very same body. Now let me ask you, if you were to take a heavy piece of string and you were to tie it around your forearm as tight as you possibly could and wrap it multiple times, as tight as you can, all the way down your forearm, from your, from your elbow down to your wrist, You wrap that heavy string as tight as you could all across your forearm, all the way down your forearm, and you left it there for a week. What do you think is going to happen to your hand? Hmm? Yeah. What's happening? Or what's not happening? Your forearm is not able to share the life That's in the body with the hand. And when when the body's ability to share life is cut off, guess what? Whatever's on the receiving end of that part of the body that's been cut off, that part of the body dies. Here's another scripture. Turn over a couple of pages to Acts chapter 4. I do have this one, Acts chapter 4, verse 32. It says, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things that he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were Possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet and they distributed to each as anyone had need. Then it goes on the next two verses says Joseph, who was also known as Barnabas. This is Barnabas who we read about, Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas owned land in, in Cyprus and he sold his land in Cyprus and he brought the proceeds and laid them at the feet of the apostles. Why did they do that? They weren't commanded to do that. Nobody said, you're commanded to go and sell your property and bring the money to us. The apostles did not command anyone to do that. How do we know? Because this is what the Bible teaches us. Because the very next story is about a couple who got a bright idea to sell their property. And they took the cash from the property they sold and they came to the apostles And the husband comes and he says, look, we sold our property and we brought all the proceeds of our property to you. Boy, aren't we special. The only problem was is they didn't really bring all the proceeds. They only brought part of it. Now, the sin wasn't that they only brought part of it. The sin was that they lied and they said they brought all of it. And Peter says, why did you lie? No one told you you had to sell your property. It was your property to do with what you want. But you chose to sell, sell it, and now you've lied to the Holy Spirit and said that it's one thing when it's really not. So they weren't compelled, they weren't commanded to do this. What caused them to live such giving lifestyles? It was the Holy Spirit. It was their revelation of Christ, it was understanding that they now lived for, they now existed for, they were now new creations for Christ and Christ's body, and it was their good pleasure 
to live and to give and to share. And it wasn't something that was forced. It was just, it became a part of who they were. Kind of like your forearm. Your forearm is not forced to provide blood to your hand. It just does because that's the way it was created. I mean, if our forearms are functioning naturally and, and correctly, then there's, not a, there's no problem with the blood going back and forth here. And, and each is supplying what the other needs. Let's go back to the book of Ephesians. Hold your place there in Acts chapter 2. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4 now. Ephesians chapter 4. Let me begin reading in, um, in verse 11. 11 to, uh, I'm going to read 11 to 16. Follow with me if you have your Bible or if it's up there. Ephesians 4.11, And he himself, speaking of Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Why did he give some? It tells us, verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. That's, that describes the relationship between you and me as the pastor. My job is to equip you for the work of ministry. That's what your pastors are supposed to do. And everything that we do on Sunday morning is working toward that end, a lot of other also, but that's part of it. That's a, a major part of why we're here. Why God gave pastors and teachers to the church for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying. That word edifying simply means building up, for the building up of the body of Christ. Till we all come to the unity, till we all, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect or a mature or a complete man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is a picture of us growing up. Your children are born and there is an expectation that they will grow up into maturity. That's the way it's supposed to be. This is a picture of the body of Christ. And Paul is painting this picture of this, of this man who is growing up into complete maturity. That's us. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. This is why doctrine is important. This is why the apostles' doctrine, this is why the instruction and the teaching of the doctrines of Christ is so important. You need to know what's truth and what's not truth so that you're not carried away by the cunning and craftiness of men out there. And don't think that there are not cunning and crafty men who want to carry you away with false doctrines because they are out there and the supply is not short but speaking not carried away but but growing up coming into maturity but speaking the truth in love that you may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ verse 16 from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. I always tell people this is why it's important for us to be together. This is why the Bible says don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together because you are here to share life with one another. We are here together to share life with one another. And our assembling and our being together does just that. It does it in all kinds of ways. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that, that we always understand specifically how that happens. But you're being here and you're connecting with one another is the sharing of life with the body. And God, 
Not, not you, not me, but God takes that. He takes that reality and in his power, in his supernatural, miraculous way, God does a work in the body. And he supplies to each one what the other one needs. And he supplies it how the other one needs it. And when the other one needs it. What we are called to do is to be faithful. To avail ourselves to that reality. Because Jesus doesn't exist for me. The church doesn't exist for us. Jesus is there and the church is a reality. It exists for him. You exist for Jesus. The church was birthed by Jesus. It was created by Jesus because it is for him and it is for his glory. So we go back to our picture in the book of Acts and we see this amazing group of people living this amazing lifestyle that we would just say is amazing today we would say would be impossible today but only if we're trying to recreate it to be some perfect picture of what we see here that's not the point the point is do you have the same heart attitude have you experience the same revelation of Christ that they experienced? Do you see Christ in the same way that they obviously saw Christ? That Christ is now exalted. He is Lord. He is God. And he is above everything. He is the sovereign over everything. And he has caused you to exist. He has created you anew in him and given you new life, given you eternal life, given you the very life His own life. That's what God has given you. His own life. And he's done that because you now live for him. You live for his glory. His body lives for his glory. And you and I are members of this body that lives, that exists, that is created for his glory. Do you think the hand likes it better without the string wrapped around the forearm? I think it does. I think the body likes it best, experiences the most joy and the most fulfillment and and, and the greatest maximum function when all the body is sharing and living life, connected and working together. When that happens, that's when we experience his joy. That's what Jesus died for that we could experience his joy in him. It's what I tell married couples. Your marriage is a picture. It's not really about you. It's really about Christ. But it's, it's not apart from you. And the reality that marriage is about Jesus and his church, about God and his people does not mean that that your attitude in marriage is, well, I guess that means I just have to live out and tough out this miserable existence with my spouse. No, God is not glorified in that. The way God will be glorified in the maximum way is for you, husband and wife, to be the most happy and the most fulfilled and the most joyful together. The more joyful and the more happy and the more fulfilled you are in your marriage, the more God is glorified. If church is just some place you have to drag yourself to on Sunday morning, you've missed the whole point. We should be fighting to come together because we have come to understand who Jesus is and why we exist and that God in his grace, he didn't have to, we don't deserve anything we have received, but in his grace, he has given us his life and he has opened our eyes. And if your eyes haven't been opened, if you can't see this reality, if you can't see the reality that you exist for him, he does not exist for you. And the church doesn't exist for you, but the church exists for him and you're part of that then 
Here's what I would encourage you to do. Pray that God would give you a revelation. Pray that God would open the blindness of your heart, the blindness of your understanding. Pray that God would allow you to see by faith the reality of who he is. That you would begin to understand anew in a fresh way that you have been given life for him. You exist for him and it is not only his good pleasure but it should be our good pleasure to walk that out to live that out to share and to provide what the other needs and sometimes people just i mean just simple encouragement listen are you more encouraged when you come here and everybody's here or are you more encouraged when you come here and nobody's here. Would you, rather, would you rather just live as a hermit and never have to interact with people? I've known people like that. It's not normal. It's not the way God created us. Now, I know people get annoying sometimes. I, mean, I never get annoying. Ask my wife, she'll tell you, I never annoy her. But... I lied. We were, we, were created, we were created for him, but we were also created for one another. What we see in the book of Acts is a church that has found a joy that did not come from themselves, that didn't come from a formula. They found a joy that came from Christ. Because God did something miraculous in their hearts. My prayer is that God would do something miraculous in your heart. That you would find a joy in Christ that you have never known before. That you would find a joy in one another. In every way. As husband and wife. As parent and child. As friends. As family. As the family of God, as the body of Christ, that you would find a joy in one another like you've never found before. Because you've come to realize that, that you exist for his glory. That this is not about us. It's about him. But because it is about him, we extract and we benefit greatly and experience great joy because God has done what he's done and God has made this the way he's made it and he's made it about him and not about us. We should be glad it's not about us, but it's really about him. I see a picture here of a church that found something, that discovered something supernatural and they had a joy. It's the joy Jesus spoke about in John 15 when he says... These things I speak to you that my joy may remain and that your joy may be full. God wants your joy to be full in him. Not just one day when you get to heaven, but God wants you to experience and to know right now the fullness of his joy. And that is a reality in Christ. Paul writes in Philippians 4.4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. In Christ, we always have reason to rejoice. I pray that God would open your heart and open your mind and allow you to see that and know that and experience the fullness of his joy in all things. Let's stand. Father, we live in a world that God has so much happening and there is so much around us. That robs us of joy, that wants to suck the joy right out of us. And God, if we think that our joy is dependent upon this world. What is or what is not happening in our world around us then Lord, our joy will never be constant. It will never be full. 
And the reality is, God, we will never know it. Lord, I'm thankful that you have promised us something that is not dependent upon this world. Lord, you even said this, peace I give to you, not as the world gives, give I to you. And the same is true for love, for joy, for peace. Lord, what you give us is not what the world gives us. It's other than the world. And I pray today, Father, that you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, Give your people a revelation of how other than you are. Other than anything in this world. You are other than anything in this created order. Because you are not created. You are not a man that you should lie. You are the Alpha and the Omega. You are the Lord, the God of all creation. And it was your good pleasure to come to this earth, to die on a cross, to be raised, and to pour your life and your love into your people. And I pray, God, that you would open our eyes to that reality that we would find as the source of our joy the reality of who you are. And that we would come to realize that we exist for your glory. That we exist for you, God. You created the church for you and for your glory. And help us to find our greatest joy. To bring glory and honor to your name as we walk out this faith. As we walk out hand in hand with one another, joined in life to one another in Jesus. God, help us find that joy and let that joy transform us completely. Let it be a witness to the world and to all around us that something has changed, something is different, and that difference is Christ in us, the hope of glory. Father, we pray today that you would be glorified in your church and that your church would revel in and joy in that glory. In Jesus' name, amen.